Wow, are you with me, church? My goodness gracious, I tell you, man, sometimes I've got my rubber band up here. Sometimes I'm just stretched to the limit because of tension in my life. How about you? Well, I did bring my rubber band up here this morning, not only as an illustration, but if you fall asleep, I'm, <laughs> I am holy smoke, pretty good shot there. I'll, I'll knock you out of your seat. Hey, the word tension is a Latin word which means to stretch. Our English word tendon comes from the same word. Tense and tension have the idea of being stretched tight or taut, being pulled apart like that rubber band that's ready to snap. Now, all of us live with a certain amount of tension, don't we? Come on, come on. I'll just keep talking unless you say yes. I mean, we all do. Don talked about it. We all have tension in our life, and sometimes that tension gets the best of us. Doctors tell us that prolonged tension can lead to insomnia or high blood pressure, which is another word for hypertension, heart disease, and it can even shorten our lives. Now, there are many strategies for coping with tension. Uh, Angie has tried to help me with my tension throughout our marriage few years ago, we went to uh, the beach, just she and I, the kids were somewhere else, and, and we went down to the beach and sat under the uh, umbrella, and she said, honey, I'm going to teach you how to relax because you're just too tense. She told me, just lay there and think about nothing. Just lay there and relax. Ronnie, I did for five minutes, and that, that's about as, as much relaxation, I guess, that I can do. Doctors and therapists can teach us relaxation techniques. They tell us that we need to get more exercise. And you know what? We do. Huh? We do. To take time for ourselves every day, and we need that. To, to be able to say no, <laughs> and then no, and to simplify our lives. And I think all that is very, very important, don't you? And I'm telling you, I'm trying to implement some of those things in my own life. But you need to understand to a great extent, this is a spiritual problem. You know, almost all of our mental and emotional problems have a spiritual dimension to them. And today I would like for us to look at Psalms 3 and discover a cure for tension. <laughs> You're killing me, guys. Come on. I mean, I guess you're just overwhelmed by the Metro-Goldwyn commercial up there. I mean, I'm telling you, we need to learn how to deal with tension before it destroys us. Psalms 3 is the first psalm to bear a title. It is one of 14 psalms that are, by their titles, linked to certain historical events in the life of David. We'll learn about that in a moment. So let me read Psalm 3 to you. It's only eight verses. Can I read it to you? Let's do that. Here it is. Psalm 3. Lord, how they have increased who trouble me. Many are they who rise up against me. Many are they who say of me, there is no help for him in God. And then there's that little word that appears three times in this passage, Selah. Selah is a Hebrew word that means to lift up. It's kind of like a 
spark. In English terms today, we would highlight it and put it in bold and underline it. It's bringing emphasis to a certain point that David is making here. One of the best translations for Selah that I've ever heard of is the little phrase, there. What do you think about that? And I think the emphasis is on what David has just said. Verse 3, but you, O Lord, are a shield for me, my glory and the one who lifts up my head. I cried to the Lord with my voice and he heard me from his holy hill, Selah, (laughs) there. What do you think about that? I lay down and slept. I awoke for the Lord sustained me. I will not be afraid of ten thousands of people who have set themselves against me all around. Arise, O Lord, save me, O my God, for you have struck all my enemies on the cheekbone. You have broken the teeth of the ungodly. Salvation belongs to the Lord. Your blessing is upon your people Selah, there. What do you think about that? And may the Lord add his blessings to the reading of his word. In the first two verses, David tells us that storms blow into our lives. Are you with me? Has, has a storm ever, storm ever blown into your life? Okay. Sometimes they can blow in and sweep us off of our feet. And the title of the psalm gives us the background for this particular psalm. It was a psalm of David when he fled from Absalom, his son. Now, that story is told in the book of 2 Samuel, and it really begins in chapter 13, when a conflict erupted between King David's children. So in keeping with the customs of the day, David had married multiple wives. Can I tell you that's not a good idea? All it did is cause a lot of problems for David. Uh, The story in this chapter involves three of David's children by two different wives. Amnon was his son by one wife, and the beautiful Tamar and her handsome brother Absalom were the children by another wife. Well, Amnon developed this unhealthy infatuation for his half-sister Tamar. And he actually seduced her and molested her and raped her. Well, her brother Absalom was furious about this. And for two long years, he plotted revenge against his half-brother Amnon. And finally, the time came and he killed his brother. He killed his half-brother for raping his full sister. And as a result, he had to flee Jerusalem and for three long years... He lived in exile. Chapter 14, the next chapter, we read certain political intrigues were put into play that allowed Absalom to return back to the capital city. But his heart was still embittered about what had happened to his sister Tamar. And he evidently had some bitter feelings towards his own father David. Or at least he had some very powerful political ambitions for his own. Because we begin to see this plot unfolding as Absalom began plotting the overthrow of his father's kingdom and to take the throne from his father. Now, let me just try to describe this man Absalom to you. He was as handsome as a Hollywood hunk. He was as smart as a scientist. 
and he was as slick as a Washington politician. I mean, he was the whole package. And if there had been public opinion polls in those days, he would have scored the highest numbers of anyone in the country. In fact, 2 Samuel 14, 25 describes him like this. In all of Israel, I mean the entire nation of Israel, was not a man so highly praised for his handsome appearance as Absalom. From the top of his head... To the sole of his foot, there was no blemish in him. Whenever he cut the hair of his head, and he used to cut his hair from time to time when it became too heavy for him, he would weigh it, and its weight was 200 shekels by the royal standard. I'm telling you, this guy had it all. He was the kind of man every other man wanted to be, and he is the kind of man every woman wanted. I mean, he had it all. And I, I don't know if that I'm that envious of the point that uh, from the top of his head to the bottom of his feet, there were no blemishes, but what I am a bit envious of was his hair. <laughs> Y'all remember when Dave was on staff? Y'all remember Super Dave? Man. He was, always, he was always giving me that, man, just as proud of his hair as he could be. But Absalom would even put Super Dave to shame on the hairdo. Chapter 15 describes the events leading up to this rebellion that Absalom brought. And in verse 6 it says that he had stole the hearts of the people of Israel. The crisis hit David out of nowhere. In fact, verse 13 says, a mass messenger came and spoke to King David. He said, the heart of the men of Israel are with Absalom. Then David said to all his officials who were with him in Jerusalem, Come, we must flee, or none of us will escape from Absalom. He knew that his son would kill them all. And so David, along with his inner circle, quickly abandoned the capital in a desperate effort to escape his own son and a very large segment of the Israeli army who had followed in the rebellion. Now we go to 2 Samuel chapter 16. Listen to verse 14. The king and all the people with him arrived at their destination exhausted. And there he, speaking of David, refreshed himself. In other words, David and his entourage were running for their lives. They escaped the capital city and fled somewhere out in the wilderness. And there they found an overnight spot where they could camp out for the evening, have something to eat, and try to rest. And the Bible specifically says that David refreshed himself. And you might be wondering, well, how did he do that? What, what did he do to refresh himself? Well, it's very simple. He had a good night's sleep. He was able to lie down on the grass under a tree and actually fall asleep and have a great night's sleep. And the next morning, during his morning devotions or morning quiet time, he composed Psalm number 3. I, I don't know, that just kind of blows me away. Uh, that's interesting to me. That, that is the background of this psalm. Psalms 3 
is actually a page taken from David's personal journey written on the morning that he had fled the capital city running for his life from his son Absalom who was trying to kill him. Church, don't you think we could learn a little lesson right here about how to deal with tension in our lives from David's devotion? Verses 1 and 2 tell us that storms do blow into our lives. And sometimes they can blow in from nowhere. Are you with me? And they can seem to put us in hopeless straits. Look at verses 1 and 2 again. David said, Lord, how they have increased who trouble me. Many are they who rise up against me. Many are they who say of me, there is no help for him in God. You see, the uh, conventional wisdom for all of the people living in Israel was this. David's finished. David's done for. He's been thrown off of his own throne. We woke up this morning and there is a new king on the throne. The old government has been replaced by a new government. And now David was facing a crisis that is on multiple levels. Have you ever heard the phrase, when it rains, it pours? Well, it was pouring down on David that day, and he was dealing with multiple crises. Let me, let me just make a laundry list of the things he was dealing with. First of all, it was a family crisis. This wasn't just a political enemy who had plotted to overthrow King David. This was his own son. Now, I've been doing ministry all my life. I've been a pastor for about 33 years, and during those years, I have watched people go through many kinds of storms, a lot of people. I've even been through a few storms myself. But I can tell you this, most, the most painful storms are family-related storms. The deepest and most precious relationships in life are family relationships between husbands and wives, between children and parents, between siblings and grandparents. Home truly is where the heart is. And when families are torn apart, when family members are in crisis, that is the deepest pain a person can endure. And that's right where David was. He is seeing his family being torn apart. Not only that, number two, it was a vocational and financial crisis he was dealing with. In essence, in a single day, David was fired from his job. <laughs> he was kicked off the throne, humiliated in the eyes of the entire nation. He was ignobly evicted from his own home and stripped of all of his possessions. Again, in a single day, all of his bank accounts and all of his assets were seized by the government. And he went from having everything to having the coat on his back. And that's it. Number three, it was a physical crisis. A physical crisis. David's not a young man anymore. and This, this is pretty hard going on him physically. But, but not only that, there is a large segment of the rebellious Israeli army who is combing the Judean fields with a direct order from the new king. When you see my father... Kill him. Wow. 
I wonder, how do you react when you find yourself in a crisis that you are not likely to survive? That's where David was. Number four, it was also a national crisis. The kingdom in which David was supposed to be in charge of was now divided. It was in upheaval. And then fifth, I believe it might have been, yes, no, I know it was a spiritual crisis for David. For none of this would have happened except for his own immorality and sin with Bathsheba, which occurred in 1 Samuel chapter 11. You see, before 1 Samuel chapter 11, we do not read of any real problems in David's family. But after 1 Samuel chapter 11, he had one problem after another problem with his family. Now, guys, let me, let me just explain this. I do believe and I do know from the Word of God that when we sin and we are convicted of that sin, if we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all our unrighteousness. And David confessed his sin. And God did forgive David of his sin. No doubt about that. But what David is dealing with here are the consequences of that sin. Even though God forgives us, we still have to deal with the residue. And that is exactly what David is dealing with. So, here's the bottom line, verses 1 and 2. Storms do blow into our lives. And sometimes they can just sweep us off our feet. <laughs> so if you want to talk about tension, just read verses 1 and 2. But, but now I want you to notice David's response in verses 3 and 4. Storms blow in... But prayer looks up. Prayer looks up. Look at verse number 3. But you, O Lord, are a shield for me, my glory and the one who lifts up my head. I cried to the Lord with my voice, and he heard me from his holy hill. Selah. David had a very interesting prayer technique that he teaches us here. If this had been me, and my son was trying to kill me, and I was running, fleeing for my life, and I had left behind everything that was valuable and important to me. And I was out in the middle of nowhere with absolutely no hope to live. I would be praying to God, but I would be listing about 175 prayer requests specifically that I needed God to take care of. Are you with me? But David doesn't do that. David does not give one specific request at all. Now, I'm sure as he was verbally praying, he probably did ask God for some things. But at least in his written prayer that we have, there is not a single request. No, there is instead an affirmation. He doesn't request anything. He affirms God. He comes before the Lord in prayer to affirm this. Get this. He says, my Lord God, he is my shield. Oh, my lands. What an affirmation in prayer. People are trying to kill me, but God's my shield. I don't know if we can really connect with that very good because we don't carry shields around with us. I mean, you got your shield today? You ready to go out from the door of this church to your car and have your shield to protect you from? Yeah. We don't carry shields anymore, do we? Kind of wish I had me a shield. I know some cool people who do have shields. Wonder Woman! She had a pretty cool shield. My hero 
Captain America. Dude, I love his shield, man. Are you, are you digging it? You with me? You know the shield I'm talking about? That's what we kind of think of when we think about shields, but I, I really don't think that's what David is envisioning here. What, what he's envisioning is something just a, a little bit bigger than that. I, I think David is envisioning this enveloping shield that not only protects his front side, but his backside. And I tell you, that's the side I need protected because that's where the devil hits me. I need a shield that's all around me. And so even though Wonder Woman and Captain America's shields are awesome, I need a better shield than that. So the one, the one I'm thinking about takes me way back to childhood. Star Trek. Remember Star Trek on TV? How many of y'all remember the old Star Trek shows? Huh? Here's the Starship Enterprise. It's floating out there in space. You know? They come under attack by the Klingons. And Captain Kirk says, activate shields. And there's old Spock over there pushing some buttons. And he looks up and says, shields activated, sir. And, and I don't know how they did it, but somehow this electronic magnetic deflector shield would surround the Enterprise and it would ward off the attacks of the Klingons. It just bounced off. Went all around them. <laughs> I lost you in the illustration, didn't I? Anybody remember that? I mean, there you go. That's what I'm thinking about, man. That's what my God is to me. He's a shield around me. That word shield appears about a hundred times in the Bible, beginning with God's promise to Abraham in Genesis 15. Here's what God said Do not be afraid, Abram. I am your shield, your very great reward. Wow. Then that word shield appears about 22 times in the Psalms. For example, Psalms 5:12. For surely, O Lord, you bless the righteous. You surround them with your favor as with a shield. Psalm 17, my shield is God most high, who saves the upright in heart. Then I love all of Psalm 18. The Lord is my rock, my fortress, and my deliverer. He is my God, my rock, in whom I take refuge. He is my shield, and he is the horn of my salvation. So here you are. A storm has blown into your life. You're in the middle of a tense situation. Guys, let me tell you, I cannot think of a more powerful mental and spiritual tool than reminding yourself in times like this that God is my shield and he is my exceeding great reward because I have placed my faith in him and he's going to take care of me. So storms blow in, prayer looks up. Number three, faith lies down. That leads us to this third stanza in verses 5 and 6. But before I read those verses, let me just ask you a quick question. How would you answer if someone asked you to name some of the greatest illustrations in the Bible of people who manifested faith in God? Think about that. What are some of the Bible's greatest examples of faith, mighty faith? Well, I don't know. If you're like me, you'd probably point to Noah in the Old Testament. When warned of things unseen, he built this ark in the middle of nowhere and was the laughing stock of the community. But he did it by faith. You might think of Abraham. 
when called to go to a place that he would later receive as an inheritance, he went even though he did not know where he was going. I know some of you will go play. You don't know where you're going either. But I mean, this was for real with him. He stepped out in faith. Perhaps you'd tell me about Moses, who went nose-to-nose with Pharaoh, the most powerful man in the world at that time, and he declared to Pharaoh, you, Potna, let God's people go. You might mention Elijah's contest on Mount Carmel when he stood against the 450 prophets of Baal. You might think of Peter walking on the water or the Apostle Paul charging the ramparts of the Roman Empire with the gospel of Jesus Christ. But I would tell you that the greatest act of faith perhaps in the Bible amounted to nothing more or nothing less than David lying down and going to sleep in Psalms chapter 3. Verse 5, he said, I lay down and slept for the Lord sustained me. I will not be afraid of tens of thousands of people who have set themselves against me all around. Church, let me tell you something. There is no greater act or exercise of faith than being able to lie down on your bed and go to sleep with the peace of God. Often think of Jesus. He's on a little boat with his disciples and the storm is raging. They're panicking. They don't know what to do. And they go down underneath. And, and what is Jesus doing? <laughs> He's sleeping, man. I think of the apostle Peter in Acts chapter 12. He is in prison, guarded around the clock by an army of soldiers. On the night before he was to be tried and condemned, what is he doing? He is sleeping between two soldiers chained to them, and he is sleeping so soundly that an angel has a difficult time waking him up to set him free. (laughs) Now that is awesome. When Nelson Bell was a missionary physician to China, he found he and himself, he found himself and his family literally in a war zone. He said that every night shells would whiz over their house at night, But they would claim the promise not found in Psalm number 3, but the promise found in the next Psalm, Psalm number 4. When David said, I will lie down and sleep in peace, for you alone, O Lord, make me to dwell in safety. Dr. Bell later wrote, It was a question of either resting in God's promises for our safety and protection and staying in bed, or of being fearful... And getting out of bed. So we just chose to stay in bed. (laughs) I read about an old woman who said this in her bedtime prayers every night. Well, Lord, the Bible says that you never sleep nor slumber. So if you're going to stay awake, I guess I'll go to sleep. (laughs) Storms blow in. Prayer looks up. Faith lies down. But how does God respond to that kind of faith? Well, we can label the last two verses of Psalms 3 this. God goes forth. God has the victory. Look at verse 7. Arise, O Lord, save me, O my God, for you have struck all my enemies on the cheekbone. You have broken the teeth of the ungodly. Salvation belongs to the Lord. Your blessing is upon your people. There. What do you think about that, man? There's one more interesting aspect to Psalms number 3. 
and that is this. It is followed by Psalms 4. In fact, the two go together. Psalm 3 is David's morning devotion. Psalms 4 is David's evening devotions. He both began and ended his day in prayer to God, reminding himself of God's great omnipotent power and protection and pardon and presence. So, if you want to overcome tension in your life, then I think you need to get where David was. Understand, understand that, you know what, God has got it in control. And I need to both begin and end my day with God. I need to spend all day with God, but at least begin and end that day praying to Him. Why? Because storms blow in. Prayer looks up. Faith can lie down because God is going forth to help His people. So church, I declare to you today... God is our shield and our exceeding great reward. Life does this to us. And it's doing this to some of you right now. And you're almost at the snapping point. But before you snap, <laughs> why don't you trust? Gather up all your concerns, your problems, your stress wherever your life is in crises, and bring that to the Lord today. So I guarantee you, He cares for you. And He will be your 